Uh, sometimes <laughs> I think it's funny that we record ourselves. Yeah. We still do it though. We do. We're still here. Well, I, I love doing this show, so that's why we keep doing it. Yeah, that's probably the number one. That is yes. I think it's easy to say that that's the number one reason why we keep doing the show. It's very fun to talk softly about my book <laughs> opinions straight at you. So many, so many, so many damn books. Books on books on books. Books on books on books. We can just say that a bunch of times. Books on books on books. It does kind of sound like the beginning of like uh, rubber baby buggy bumpers. Like books on books on you know, something. It is. It does. The K and the B so close to each other get tough as you repeat what's it. What's the um, what's the beatbox thing? Boots and cats. Uh huh. We can ask books, Siri. Books and cats. Books and cats. Oh yeah, that's a just kind of. That's a little more um, a little more on the high end, a little more on the hi hat than on the bass drum. Well, and I am all about that treble. No bass. <laughs> <laughs> I was really, I had no idea where you were going with that. I oh. didn't know either. <laughs> um, anyway, welcome to So Many Damn Books. I'm Christopher. I'm Drew. And we are uh, enjoying some wine and getting ready to talk about books. Indeed. Like it's summer. Like many other book clubs before us. Yes. And many will. Many to come. I wonder how many book clubs are actually wine clubs. Hey, I'll be all week. <laughs> <laughs> so it's summer, and summer in New York means, um, well, it means one book New York. Yeah, I'm so glad that it came back. Yeah, I want it to continue. I enjoy it. Um, and But, you know, we have things that we talk about before we talk about books, Oh, right? yes. Yes. Um, so why don't we talk capitalism. about... Capitalism. Capitalism. <laughs> no, let's talk about what we're drinking. Oh, yes. We are drinking wine. Straight up. From the bottle into a glass wine. It's a lovely, slightly fizzy rosé. Yeah, I found it at the um, Park Slope wine shop where the damn library is near. And this is an Arca Nova 2017 rosé. I highly recommend it. It's lovely. It's, it's summer. Jammy, citrus. It says it said on the um, little handwritten card, it was gold writing on a black card. Mm. And it said, this one tastes like summer. Yeah. And it does. It does. And we're, I don't know. I feel weird that I didn't make a cocktail. I just poured something from a glass into another glass. But you know, it, it's the end of the summer. A lot, Lots of places are about to start uh, or have just started their new fiscal year. It's a good time to just like relax for a second before the onslaught of the new school year, the new fiscal year, the new whatever. Mm-hmm. So, you know, treat yourself. I mean, this tastes like a treat. It does. Rosé does. Yeah, I love rosé. Okay, let's talk about what you buy. Cool. What did you buy, Drew? Boy, let's see. I'm trying to narrow it down from a few because it's just sort of scattershot of things that have come into this house in the last few weeks. Uh, one... I didn't buy it. Danny bought it, but I'm very excited about it. Is Angie Thomas's The Hate You Give. 
which came out, God, I think over a year ago now. It was sometime last year. Uh, it was on the list for the National Book Awards. Long enough ago that the movie rights have been mm-hmm. sold, and I think even cast. I feel like there's yeah. Even, I feel like they're moving fast on yeah, it. Yeah, they're like get on it. Um, but I'm I'm excited about that. That was like the big YA book last year, mm-hmm. uh, and I'm excited about that. And then the other is uh, a mailing that came to us, and it is. Um, the Penn Best Debut Short Stories Collection. Mm-hmm. Um, they started doing this last year around a new prize that Penn has inaugurated. And it's just cool. It's authors whose names I've never heard before, but who I am likely to hear from again. A uh, friend of the show, Alex Kleeman, was one of the editors on the collection this year. Neat. Um, yeah, I'm just, I'm excited to like hear some truly new voices. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. How about you? So you have been uh, vehemently recommending uh, N.K. Jemison to everyone you get five seconds with. And so I have taken the plunge. And um, it's funny. I saw. So I bought the first one and started it. And I read like five pages of it before I saw the second one in a used bookstore. And I was like. I guess, <laughs> you know, it's it's one of these like availability um, heuristics that I'm just very worried about. And I was like looking at it and holding it. And I'm like, am I going to invest this far? And I decided, yes. Nice. So I bought that. Um, but I'm moving soon. Yes, you are. I kind of want to get rid of books <laughs> more than yeah. bring them into <laughs> my life. I'm getting rid of like I've been getting rid of three books a day and I move in a week. So I should be like, I'm, I have like a stack of about 60 books that I'm getting rid of. Wow. 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 And so there's this, um, uh, take a book, leave a book Mm -hmm. sort of outside of a, an apartment building that I walk by on my way to work. And, um, they have just been getting a cornucopia, (laughs) you know, it's not even, you know, cause I'm even getting rid of, I'm looking at my like permanent collection Mm -hmm. and I'm looking through it. Like, am I ever really going to read life after life by Kate Atkinson again? Yeah. No, I am not. Yeah. Great book. I really enjoyed it. I don't need to own the book, but this is a, it's a strange, you know, it's like, it's like investing in futures. Like, like I, it's very strange. Like how much am I going to be thinking about this now? How much have I already thought about it in the year since I've read it? It's funny. Books are the only thing now that I have started getting rid of books, which is not something that I did for a very long time. Um, books are the thing that I can get behind that. Like Marie Kondo hold it to you. And does it bring you joy? Mm -hmm. And that is, it's not, does it bring you joy so much as like, do I have a meaningful connection with this book in some way? Mm -hmm. It could be that I hated it, but it feels important to like be there to make up the picture of the thing. Or it can be like, yeah, but I just love that jacket. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I've found myself right as a reminder that mm -hmm. sometimes terrible things come in beautiful packages. Yeah. And like those books I'm fine hanging on to in a way that a mediocre book that I'm like, I remember nothing about this. I think I liked, I gave it four stars on Goodreads. My known, uh, uh, yeah, out the door. But the crazy thing is, you're allowed to buy books again. You are. You can buy it as many times as you like. In fact, they like that. I found that out. I walked into the bookstore and I was like, "Hello, I already own this book. May I purchase it again?" And they said, "Yes, Drew." (laughs) And you've been here for a hundred (laughs) years. And then they zoomed in on the picture of you at the New Year's Eve party. Yeah. And you were there since 1923. Yeah. 
Should we talk about this? Um, um, oh, yeah. The, one, the last thing, I got to say something about the N.K. Jemisin. Oh. The Stone Sky, the third book, just won the Hugo Award. Oh, my God. Making her the first author to ever win three back-to-back Hugos and the first ever to win for an entire trilogy. Wow. Right? It is fantastic. Um, I'm very much enjoying it. Nice. So hopefully anyway. we can get her on the show. Yeah. Thanks that'd... for the recommendation, you and also John John Hodgman, Hodgman indeed. Um, when John Hodgman tells you to read a book. Yeah, you gotta. You do you it. Get, yeah. Yeah. Okay, so we're here in New York, and as we, I think you all know. And they, um, like many cities, in fact, San Francisco has one as well, and there's a there's a one book whatever mm-hmm. for New York's many... pretty late to the game. Mm-hmm. And this, this year, it was Manhattan Beach by Jennifer Egan, um, who is a Park Slope president, isn't mm-hmm. she? So she lives nearby. I guess to maybe technically Brooklyn Heights. I don't know. One of these sort of neighborhoods around here. And this is a decidedly New York book. It is where it's set. Mm-hmm. All of the books this year are at least mostly set. So the, the way that it works, and yeah. I think this is true of a lot of places, they sort of offer up a short list and ask. They put five books up and have people vote on the website. And so what what did this beat out? Uh, when I Was Puerto Rican by Esmeralda Santiago, which was a memoir. Behold the Dreamers by Mbolo Mbue, uh, which was a novel, an Oprah's book club pick, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, White Tears by Hari Kunzru, which I loved. Mm-hmm. And If Beale Street Could Talk, James Baldwin. I think I voted for that. I did too. Anyway, I I I was not disappointed by having by having this win or having it having to read it. Yeah, you know? there's something cool about you know a living author last year Americana, um, the the ability to have the author come take part in your one book celebration, whatever that might mean. Mm-hmm. I feel like that is a a pretty attractive offer. You mm-hmm. know, definitely. And so this book, um, you're following. Uh, 11-year-old Anna. It starts with 11-year-old Anna mm-hmm. and her dad. And he is a... You You sort of realize that he is a nefarious underworld sort of worker. Mm-hmm. In, but in that charming way. Yeah. You know? in, in the way that pro, it was prohibition, so everyone's like, wink, wink, nudge, yeah. nudge, the great Gatsby. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We all get it. We, yeah, we all know. <laughs> um, yeah, where gangsterism was super sexy. <laughs> or at least that's how the historians have painted it. Yeah. Um, and this book kind of, it, there is, a, of course, a nice glamorous side to going to cl- underground clubs. And, th- and this book revels in that because it then fast forwards into um, her adulthood where her father has disappeared. It's World War Two. It's World War Two now. And she is working in the Naval Yard. Um, and then you follow her as her life has changed and she gets involved with the same people that her dad was as well as gets into um diving mm-hmm. uh, and fixing ships through the old diving costumes yeah she ends up being the first female diver um much of the surprise and disdain <laughs> of, yeah of the of all the grumpy old men the funny thing is as we recount this if you've never read the book you are abs i guarantee you you're picturing all of the people all of the characters right now and you're pretty much spot on. Like, you know what they look like. You know how they sound. Yeah, this book was sort of met with a sort of resounding shrug from the literary community or the, I don't know. It, I was rereading um, the New York Times Review mm-hmm. when it came out. 
and it's loving. But it's by Amor Tolls, who is a New York chronicler. Mm-hmm. Um, the, his, of course, big book was Rules of Civility, and, and then even bigger, Gentleman in Moscow. And um, so it makes sense that he would love it because it does capture sure. that sort of like, I don't know, that sort of slipstream New York, uh, uh, historical New York of the like, not necessarily the main avenues, right. but you're passing by them to head into the tenements or, right. or, you know, into the alleyways. Yeah, it is. It's very much a, a New York that probably never quite existed which is is also saying that does a little bit of a disservice because the book is beautifully rendered yes it's it's very and it seems realistic i mean the or at least i mean i feel like there's no way that jennifer egan didn't find her way into trying on one of these diving costumes (laughs) because like the 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 feeling of claustrophobia oh yeah weight on your shoulders of this ironworks that you're carrying um it's one of these that of course um, I've talked about this in the past, but especially with historical novels, I always end up looking up pictures of the people and looking and like looking at that mm-hmm. diving costume that she rendered very nicely in words. Oh my god! Yeah, yeah. It's a. Uh, I think the shrug was because you know a visit from the Goon Squad is a really crazy experimental, connected link short story novel. On the other side, is it's much more of like that, like the old-fashioned almost historical novel yeah i remember when even when it was announced people were like this is this is how you follow up goon squad and i i remember many many years later so she had found like a very Mm -hmm. willing and captivated audience and then she throws this out and it's so it's so clearly that she it's not like she was like oh i'm gonna rush this out this is years and years and years in the making yeah i read this Almost a year ago, actually, um, mm-hmm. about a month or so before it came out. I think it came out Lovely early da. October. I know, right? <laughs> we have a books podcast. Yeah. Um, and the the thing that I found myself saying was that more than anything, it's it's the way that she writes. Like Jennifer Egan can write and should write anything she wants because the way that she writes is, I don't know. I keep saying that it's like you're putting on your favorite sweater for the first time, like mm-hmm. as it starts getting cold, and that way you're just like, ha ha. Yeah. Yeah. There's something comfortable about it. It, it. I mean, she's just such a economical, but still like lavish. I mean, I remember something very early on in the book. Um, Anna is expected by her dad to be sort of like an asset, even though she's 11 years old. Mm-hmm. And he's bringing her by um, this other, this, I guess, sort of, you find out, head gangster's house. Um and he has a daughter as well. Mm-hmm. And there's this moment where she's trying to act cool upstairs with the daughter. And um, the daughter has a doll, like a special doll that um, I think says mama or something when you pick it up a certain way. And she's looking at it and she's like, okay, I obviously can't like go over and pick up the doll like I'm really into it because that'd be... <laughs> not cool yeah like i have to do this sly and so she's just like thinking about this and working through this in a very 11 year old way but she says this thing where she's like i just needed to feel the weight of it mm-hmm. which is such like a kid great sentence and a great thought to ascribe to an 11 year old i don't i just immediately was like oh this is going to be so cool to be seeing new york in this time period through an 11 year old's eyes 
And then I was a little disappointed that we then moved 15 years into the future. The book spends a fair amount of time just living in sort of both of its time periods. In the Depression, 11-year-old, I mean, it's only, I think, 40-some pages or so, but it's lushly rendered. Mm -hmm. And then there's a, a good chunk of the book where Anna's just... She's training to be a diver. She's like seeing this guy. She's taking care of her mom and her sister. And it's, but it's just, it's New York. It's mm-hmm. like, this is New York. This is what it was like. And it's only when the plot starts to kick in, in like maybe the last third or so, that I started to feel a little bit of that disappointment. Not because I was upset about what the plot was doing. I was just like, man, I, you could have just written this as like a daily chronicle of these people's lives. And ended the book, and I would have been like, "Cool." Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, once the, I mean, there's a huge plot point that we won't spoil, mm-hmm. but there's an an enormous portion of the book late breaking that is devoted to a different main character, and it's sea based, mm-hmm. and it's and you're on the ocean, and it's so late that it's really one of these things where. Um, when you realize that like a movie that you're seeing was two and a half hours long, not two hours long, you know, like there was just like so much more to go. Right. Um, and I was, I, I had a sort of like a, okay, because I just, I wanted to know more about Anna and, mm-hmm. and her plight and like going switching so harsh. I, I kind of didn't need the amount of detail at that point. And really only because, the book didn't feel like that story. It felt like the story that it started with. Right. It's interesting. I think that you and I, as voracious readers and as critical readers, mm. uh, in I mean that in the positive context of critical, I this book feels like an ideal pick for a one-book situation because it, it can appeal to such a broad swath. Like, you can... I Somebody, I think it was Ruth Curry during the tournament of books she was judging this it was this book in dear cyborgs and she in her judgment said something about like you can give this book to your republican uncle Mm -hmm. and have a a pleasant conversation about it and that sort of kicked up a comment storm but that idea that this book is so thoroughly outside of anything that's happening in anyone's current present lives yeah it's definitely an escape and it and it's to a new york that um is that sort of idea that like if she got this job she'll really make it baby you know like she's like you can yeah you like she'll be able to go to the you know whatever it is so you just get this i don't know that like new york has possibilities if you just look in the crannies and the cracks <laughs> you'll find your own adventure in new york yeah it's the it's the fifth character in the series if you think about it <laughs> <laughs> One thing, uh, this is just a side, is, and, you know, who cares about my opinion? <laughs> we do! We do! But um, there's there's a great sex scene in this book. It's yes. It's one of the best, I, I don't... Yes, I, I, there is. It's, like, so well-written and realistic. Mm-hmm. Um, You know, there's the, the narrative of, like, having sex all night, or, like, that you hear about in movies, TV shows, books. But this is a depiction of what 
sex all night actually looks like <laughs> yeah. that was great yeah i was disappointed where it actually did end up that was ultimately setting up a plot of a woman in trouble plot right which i don't need another one of like i feel like there's so many like oh like and I, of course it's very realistic to the era and it, and it, you know like getting pregnant in mm-hmm. and and the limited options that women had at this time at all times there's always a, there's a limiting of options um and i understand that that that's a realistic thing to have happening yeah. but i just thought i feel like that plot is used a lot and that well has been gone to a lot so i just i just wanted something different i guess from jennifer egan i wonder if and this this brings up a much larger conversation than we have time for over the next hundred episodes of the show but it it brings up the genre conversation and there's a lot of talk about oh is this like a genre trope well yeah and i feel like this book she's gleefully and purposefully trafficking in a lot of classical like this is a a 40s noir novel and I wonder. I, I, so people, she's we doing a hallmark of the genre, and yeah, not, I see. But because it's Jennifer Egan, because it is pitched as it is literary fiction that happens to be historical, that happens to have noir trappings, but like it's a it's literary fiction. Everyone's mind is turned towards like, oh, but I've seen this plot before. Instead of seeing so, it as this is a this is a plot that happens in these stories. So what you're saying is is like in a slasher movie mm-hmm. where the cheerleader um, who has sex with the quarterback is killed first. Yep. This is the exact same thing. Like the, the young upstart in New York who has sex with the gangster. Yeah. <laughs> she and has I, to get pregnant. I think there's something about when it is done well and it is done Very immaculately well, well here mm-hmm. that there, are, there's a certain pleasure to be found in that. If you are set up for that pleasure, as opposed to coming at it and being like, I, I expected something more, blah, blah, blah. Mm. And I think, you know, it's a double-edged sword, because on the one hand, you could have pitched this book as a historical novel, a historical noir novel, and it would have gotten a very different and likely much smaller readership than it did. Mm-hmm. So, you know, like, uh, uh, I don't think there's a solution. No, but it's just something interesting. Yeah. Um, And to maybe, I think if I had that information going in that i was going to expect that mm-hmm. i think i would expect different things from the book so if someone hasn't Agreed. read this and they're listening to this i don't know maybe that i, I wonder what your experience of reading the book will be let us know yes tell please us do. <laughs> james woods says a historic historical novels is science fiction looking backwards um, James Wood, I don't really agree with some things that he says or a lot of things that he says, but I do like that. I do like that. Because, you know, just like his, just like in science fiction, you have to describe how the world works. And you have right. to do that for every book ever. You're always describing how your world works. But I thought that that was an interesting thing to think about when, when reading a historical novel, the science fiction, looking backward. Yeah, I think that's a really, it's just a fun, it's a fun mind game to play. To think about a book in that way. Did you wish that you lived in New York, that New York? Every once in a while I do. Mm-hmm. I, I, as I have gotten older, I have gotten over the like, oh boy, I wish I lived in this other time period. Um, yeah. This, um, I, I ask because there's this, um, this other New York historical novelist. He wrote a great 
um, apparently, I haven't read it, um, but my dad has. <laughs> uh, it's about Coney Island called Dreamland. This guy, Kevin Baker, uh-huh. um, he's written a bunch of historical New York books. And he, he wrote a big, one of those pieces that comes out every three years or something, you know, 12,000 words on why New York sucks now. Sure. Um, and it's in Harper's. It's called Death of a Once Great City. Um, ooh, and, ooh, ooh. Um, and it did make it it of course made me do the thing of like I can't really trust you because everybody when they look back they're looking at the New York they arrived to and like the younger person that they were mm-hmm. but I thought that he had some political reasons why New York is having a harder time now which were interesting yeah but really it just made me think like yeah I do kind of wish I do feel like the New York now is different than the New York before um but you know at the same time we are making this podcast um we're doing it for fun and we get you know like we started it from nothing and yeah. we are like getting books sent to us and getting invited to cool parties and things and i don't know it seems like new york is still a place where like the randomness can happen yeah i mean it's funny i everybody who lives in new york has i think that moment where new york they they are like oh this is no longer my new york quote unquote mm-hmm. and for me like they're about to build condos on the corner of St. Mark's and 3rd Avenue and that is something that is very meaningful to a very small subset of people in the world. He talks about that. And like that nobody else gives a shit about. Right. But that to me like that's where when I first moved to New York I lived 10 blocks up the street that's like around the corner from my office it's just it's my neighborhood right and And i'm like you're gonna put you're gonna get rid of like this stupid bar that i went to and blacked out at when i was a teen like not a teenager but there and there's a lot of these um and there's like bars that have disappeared from this novel too Mm -hmm. you know so things stay things change i just think it's interesting and, and good to take a temperature of the health of the city of of the soul and see what someone who's you know he's lived here for you know, four decades or something. Yeah. Like, I, I think that he probably has something insightful to say. You know who I think has something insightful to say about this? And I I will use it to transition, if you don't mind, into uh, what I hope will become a recurring segment, just like this has become a recurring episode. Okay. Of, like, what we would love to see on the one book list for next year. Okay. There are two. One, I, I wish it had been James Baldwin this year. I just, I love any excuse to read more James Baldwin. Mm-hmm. And I think that would have been a lot of fun. But Colson Whitehead has this essay collection called The Colossus of New York. And it is, if anybody's ever read E.B. White's Here is New York, which is this slim little essay about, in the same way of like, this is the snapshot of my New York and it's mm-hmm. already gone. Um, Colson's book is is sort of 13 pictures of various spots around the city told in different voices different points of view but it all comes together to be this like i read it and i felt like i had just arrived again mm-hmm. and i think it's short it's non-fiction or it's like narrative non-fiction i, I think it would be fun because i think it would make everybody in new york think that way think about that like that first blush of arriving here and the moment when like you thought you were tired of it but it pulled you back in again all of that stuff hmm. that's interesting all right mine uh-huh. Is uh, when you reach me, by Rebecca Stead, Ooh. which is uh, which won the Newbery Award when it came out, um, and it's an incredible novel. It's pitched to children, but it has so much more complexity than a book pitched to children might seem to someone who doesn't read children's books. Nice, um, and it's interesting in the way that it's about like a kid in New York in Manhattan, um, growing up, and they're like. 
eight blocks that is their world. Hmm. Um, and the sort of like craziness that can happen when that's true as well. Right. You know, like when you live in a city as, as a kid, I've, it's something that I always idolized and thought about, especially with something like uh, mixed up files of Mrs. Basil mm-hmm. e. Frank Weiler by E.L. Konigsberg. But this is like much, um, even though there's extraordinary circumstances in the novel, um, it ends up being a very New York story. And she, I just read another one of hers, uh, Liar and Spy, Ooh. which is really, really good. Um, I read it after I disliked a book very much, and it was an excellent... Should we talk about recommendations? Yeah, sure. Uh, uh, we should talk about recommendations, but yeah, I, I, Rebecca Stead, either of her New York childhood books, I, I love looking at these sort of plots that can happen to you if you grew up here as a kid. Yeah. We read some pretty cool books. We recommend you take a look. Yeah. We, as I was saying earlier, we have a Patreon. We do. And at $5 a month, you are allowed to, um, or we, we ask for, <laughs> you are allowed. You are allowed to recommend something to us. Yes. Uh, so we, we uh, ask for recommendations at, at that level, and um, we have some cool ones. Do you want to go? Sure. Um, starting out from L.L. Jones, Don't Skip Out on Me by Willie v- Vlauten. Vlauten? Vlauten. Vlauten. By Willie Vlauten. Uh, and... They say they're currently pushing Vlauten on everyone. So very cool. I'm intrigued. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see here. Friend of the show, Bob Lopez. Um, he has been a patron from contributor the beginning. from yeah. the beginning. Um, he recommends Beautiful Darkness, a graphic novel by Fabian Vellman and Karaset, translated by um, Helga Dasher. And... Uh, it's a stunning anti-fairy tale about survival, pettiness, friendship, and how tenuous a society can be when its structures and bodies literally begin to crumble. Sold. And I've seen this graphic novel. I haven't picked it up. And it is just gorgeous just from the cover standpoint. So I am ready to make the leap too, Bob. Thank cool. you. Uh, and then finally, another graphic novel. Uh, this one from At Hog Sandwich on all the social things. Um, hey dudes, I would like to recommend my favorite thing is Monsters by Emil Ferris, a graphic novel the size of a phone book, intense and deep and an insanely mature and developed work considering it is a debut. The second part is coming out this later this year, so gird your glorious loins. Oh, I hope it comes out. It keeps getting delayed, delayed, delayed. I, um, I have it. It is has been perpetually <laughs> next on the it's just so it's so big it's huge and um uh, my backpack just broke so i'm on a yeah. i'm on the tote although i think by the time people are listening to this subscribers oh have yeah received it, the, the it's tote. out in the world now um and if you have received a tote we would love a picture post it on twitter um instagram or just send us a picture with you and your tote we love them and we'd love to post them. Yeah. And uh, we're, I don't know, we're thinking about some fun other tote related activities we, we can get we up might, to. Uh, we might open up this tote thing. Yeah. We yeah. like the way the totes look. They, we are very pleased. You'll like the way you look. <laughs> I guarantee it. Oh, no. <laughs> okay. I want to recommend one more thing. Oh, yeah. Go for it. 
because this is another weird not New York book. Okay. But it's it's called like Mid City or something. Okay. Um so this so this guy Alex Shakar, he wrote this book, The Savage Girl, and it came out the week of the September eleventh attacks. Mm-hmm. And it was one of these publishing stories where he got in a major advance and it was this big deal and they were going to like, you know, he was, it, this was supposed to come out and he, and really, I don't know, capture the public's imagination. Uh, the problem was, is yeah, they, people were going to read a lot of fiction at that point and yeah. they certainly weren't going to read this deep dive into post irony and <laughs> um, corporate marketing, yeah, which is what this... So this, um, it's about this girl who starts up in um, advertising as a trend looker. Mm-hmm. She's trend spotter, and she's trying to find what's going to be next. And um, recommends she sees this girl like who's actually made from who's wearing clothes made from like deer carcasses that she's killed in <laughs> Union <laughs> Square. Basically, I mean you're never quite in New York, but you're kind of in New York. Yeah. Anyway. They, she recommends that style and it kind of takes the world in a new direction. But the thing is, is like what what's really crazy about this book is just how much is actually happening on the page. He's really like letting his imagination go insane. Cool. There's this one um, chapter that the whole thing takes place in a temporary tattoo parlor. <laughs> <laughs> it's stuff like that where it's just like, it's a very serious conversation, but throughout there's people giving the main character more and more tattoos <laughs> it's so funny That's and awesome weird and i can see why um you know it ends in a terrorist attack so yeah. i can see why people weren't super jumping on it when it came out um but i recommend tracking down a copy and uh and and experiencing it because it's definitely very odd and if cool if this all intrigues you you will i think enjoy it you know, that made me just remember that uh, Jennifer Egan's debut novel, Look at Me, mm-hmm. was eerily prescient about a terror attack on American soil. Mm. I remember it came out, I think, in like 99, and how that was something that kept coming up when I was reading Goon Squad in the press around And people were like, I don't know, maybe she's a prophet. Hmm. Do you want to recommend something? Uh, Sure. Uh, this... Just about anybody who listens to the show is already on this train, and I am very belated in getting there. But Rachel Cusk's um, trilogy, mm-hmm. Outline, Transit, and Kudos, it's just, it's great. Outline took me a second. Mm-hmm. Transit was just fucking phenomenal. Uh, and I'm about two-thirds of the way through Kudos right now. And it's just like, I'm so glad that I dove in and that I'm reading them all back-to-back. Um, they are, I mean, they're, it's conversations. It reminds me actually in a weird way of Dear Cyborgs in that sense of like, you're just listening to people talking, Mm -hmm. but where Dear Cyborgs was looking at like capitalism and socialism and much larger issues, art, art, superheroism. Mm -hmm. This is like about being a woman in the present in our very fucked up society. Wow. And it's just, I, it's, I love it. It's unlike anything I've ever read. Sounds great. Yeah. Well, thanks everybody for listening. 
to our One Book New York episode. Indeed. We hope that uh, if you're here in New York that you have availed yourself of some of the... There've been a, it's been cool. They they took the whole summer this year instead of trying to condense it into a month. Yeah, and did all sorts of things. Uh, and I think it's going. There are events going through September, so it is not too late to get on board. To jump on the gravy train. Yeah. And um, uh, you know, we hope we have you have a nice summer that is filled with um, logging onto iTunes and uh, giving us a review. Mm-hmm. It's a great way when it's hot outside and you don't want to leave and you're looking for something to do. It's a great one. Um, you can also sign up. For our Patreon, um, we have some fun ideas now that we've finally done totes <laughs> that we have, we have coming down the pike for, for you uh, stalwart true believers. And um, is that it? I think that's it. 